Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Welcome, everybody. It's so good to see your beautiful faces. Um, I like seeing them from all angles. This is my least favorite place to look at you from, just so you know. So um, if you don't know me, and for those of you who are maybe watching us online, you may not even know who's talking here. Like, who is this person? I'm Barbara Sanofsky. I'm one of the pastoral team here. Um, I do our soul care and our family ministries. And yeah, so welcome one more time. As you know, we've been in the parables. And I uh, get to talk about a parable. We kind of kind of let off with it all the way through already. I get to talk about the great banquet. So we're going to be talking about food. But beyond food, we're going to be talking about the table. We're going to talk, be talking about this. And at the end of the teaching, you're all invited to the table. Hopefully, for every word in the teaching, you're all going to know that you've already been invited, like Daniel said so beautifully. Each of us is invited, even our enemies, even the people that we don't want at the table. They're still invited to the table. And that is, of course, always the scandal of Jesus Christ. And it's why we love him so much and yet resist some of the things that he calls us to. So let's get started. Food uh, is one of my love languages for sure. Yeah. Um, I used to think it was gifts, but if the gift comes in a creme brulee container, it might hold a lot more weight than if it's just a gift. But anyway, food is a love language that I have. Not only do I, yeah, I love to cook. And I think because of my grandmother who fed us in dire circumstances, we had no food and yet somehow whatever we ate was always yummy and delicious. I think because of my grandmother... I, I have given food a value that if I cook it and I give it to you, that means I love you. It's a love gift. So when I cook for you, it's because I love you. And I always want it to be yummy. <laughs> and I always want you to really enjoy it. And I know that there are many of you out here who are that same, your kindred spirits with me about that. Because I've eaten your food, and it's kind of amazing and delicious. So um, I also like to meet people over food, even in restaurants. But once, ag once again, I only like restaurants where the food pleases me so that I want them to experience that it pleases them. And once again, it's a love gift. Um, and did I also mention that I love to eat? Let me mention that one more time. Let me just stand back and let you notice uh, Pax talked about donuts just a little while ago, and I told her I already was a donut, so what can I say? I've earned it. Okay, and I want to tell you a little story because recently John and I were invited to dinner at the home of a couple with whom we are friends. Being invited was a gift for us because we don't always get invited. We tend to be those who keep our lives busy, and we do a lot of inviting. So right away, it was a gift to be invited. The table was beautifully set when we walked in. I asked what I could bring, and I was told nothing. So I got to come 
empty-handed. Hmm, that's hard for me. Because if I give you something, then that somehow makes me valuable. But when I have nothing to offer, when you just invite me to come, it's humility and a gift for me to accept. The food was delicious. It was healthy and nurturing. There was a lot of laughter. There was, there was deep conversation. All of it, the entire evening, was a gift. I left changed. I left feeling restored, not just by the gift, but by the people that were offering it to me. There, there were no strings attached. They, they wanted nothing from me except me. It was amazing. I picture Jesus so many times. He's got a glass of wine in his hand. He's sitting at a table. There's a plate of food in front of him. He's laughing. His head is thrown back. He's delighted. The table is filled with all kinds of people. I love that. And scripture, the Bible that we love, bears that picture out. It is a picture we should all have of this Jesus that we love and serve. In the Gospels, Jesus used meals. He used meals to engage with people, to tell them stories, to teach important lessons. And he continues to call us, those of us in this room and everyone else, like Daniel said, to his table to feast the way I did at that couple's house. Not only on the food, but on who he is. He calls us at the table to actually learn more about him, about one another, and about ourselves. I already gave you a couple of the lessons that I learned. First of all, it's really hard for me to come when I have nothing to offer. His example provides an opportunity to invite friends to invite outcasts and even our enemies to know God's story of love and salvation. Today's parable, the great banquet, is a part of a group of important parables that we find in the book of Luke. We find them in some other places as well. Uh, but here in Luke, chapters 14 through 16, Almost all of the parables are either in the context of table talk or inspired by his love of table fellowship, and they reveal his thoughts on hospitality, especially generosity in our hospitality. They reveal his thoughts on humility, and most of all, I think, his radical inclusivity. These parables are relevant to salvation because they tell us all, that, all those stories about how much Jesus loves each and every one of us and that our worth comes from just sitting down with him, not from anything else, and that he longs to be with us and we belong. These parables characterize and explain the coming kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. A kingdom that focuses on relationships 
rather than a kingdom of power or prestige, a kingdom where everyone is satisfied, everyone has a place. There is plenty. No one is lonely. No one is considered an outsider. These stories, these parables, like the one we're going to read in a minute, they are meant to teach us how to live and love like Jesus. And as a lot of you know, that is, that is really the motto, vision, mission of this church community. We are on the journey of learning to live and love like Jesus. I'm going to say that we actually can do that best if we're willing to be around the table together. So let's read. Let's read our parable. It's Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24, and it's called The Parable of the Great Feast. This morning we're going to read it from the New Living Translation. A man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story, so like him, right? So like Jesus. A man prepares, prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. I've never used that excuse. Uh, but I may try. <laughs> anyway, another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. Oh, I hope I didn't miss anything. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Hmm. The table is actually that big. I mean, I, I, I can't fathom it. I have a big table at my house, <laughs> and I have lots of tables at my house. And I think if, ev if, I think if every place was filled, there would still be room. It's crazy. It's such a visual of love and um, just radical, <laughs> crazy invitation you're in. There's nothing I'm asking you to do except come and sit down and eat with me. That's the only requirement. There's two other versions of this parable. One's in Matthew, the other's in the Gospel of Thomas, which uh, is an extra-biblical book that actually confirms a lot of the stories that we find in our Bible. And here throughout Luke, as these stories are woven about Jesus sitting at tables and eating, guess where he is? He's not in the home of a poor man. He's in the home of a wealthy Pharisee, a wealthy religious potentate. No, I just made that word up. I don't even know. 
Because Jesus, um, Jesus ate with those who had power and money. Hmm. Hmm. Consider that. And as he's sitting there with these Pharisees that are rich, and they wear black and white because I watch The Chosen. Yeah. They're watching Jesus. Their eyes are on him. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? How can we trip him up? (laughs) Their eyes are on him, but guess what? His eyes are on them as well because his eyes are on each of us. He wants to know what they are like. He wants to know the host. He wants to know the hostess. He wants to know the guests. And that's why he tells them these stories. There's a, there's a theologian named Joachim Jeremias, and he writes this, the parable of the Great Supper conveys the idea of a sharp attack on the rich. This attitude of class consciousness is to some extent in line with the warning not to invite the rich and the prosperous, but the poor, the lame, the halt. And by the way, the halt means it's just kind of collective disabilities. And as we all know, disabilities come in so many different forms. Most of our disabilities cannot be seen from the outside. They live inside of us. Jeremiah believed that because of the repetition of those words, because we find it in the scripture a couple of times, that this was actually a call to the church to invite the margins, to behave like the hosts. But being rich and powerful in that season was um, the way that people felt they were being blessed by God. They felt that the primary way that God showed his blessing was that they were rich and powerful. We kind of believe that a little bit now as well. Somehow we think that if we have whatever it is, stuff, that that means Jesus loves us, or maybe he loves us just a little bit more. And so for the poor and the marginal and those cast aside or even cast out, it meant that God withheld his blessing, especially because of their sin or generational sin. But actually, wealth, power, and status are no evidence of blessing at all. This parable highlights the difference between the kingdoms, the kingdoms of the world, where being rich and powerful do mean something, and the kingdom of God, where we are powerless, perhaps. Perhaps we have nothing at all. But it's the kingdom where love wins. And, uh, yeah, I think this parable is a call for us to recognize that in the midst of the unequal and sometimes violent nature of our world, that we, we get to be different. We who are lovers of Jesus, who already know that we have a place at the table, we're called to be different. We get to acknowledge that there are inequalities. We get to invite the poor and the powerless. 
Or maybe we get to cop to the fact that actually we are the poor and the powerless. That hmm. is for sure a call to action for us. Um, this type of table fellowship doesn't often make the list of classic spiritual disciplines. But I'm going to say it kind of is. In our world, which seems to have lost its way in matters of both food and soul, Jesus does have something important to say. The table is that place where he can say it, where we can say it, where the broken sinners that are each and every one of us find connection and belonging. And then we all, like Peter, we stumble after Jesus. And we all need people around us at the table who will journey with us in our stumblings as we are willing to journey with them in theirs. Table fellowship as spiritual discipline. Table fellowship that strengthens the bonds of our spiritual friendships with one another. Like that table that I was invited to that I began uh, talking to you guys about. You know that table that was beautiful? where the food was delicious and there was laughter and there was deep conversation and I was asked to bring nothing except myself. Hmm. Our dinner tables have the potential to be missional in all of our lives, missional places. The table is vital for shaping and sustaining our life with God. Um, Several, oh gosh, I don't know how many years ago now. Des, do you know how many years ago we started cooking, eating, and God? Yeah, more like six. It was a long time ago. We started doing this small group that was, um, it was food for sure, but it was food for so many different things. And there were so many people um, who through those years came in and out of our kitchen at my house. And, and all we did was we cooked together, and we ate together, and we talked together. And we talked about the things of God, and we talked about the things not of God. But there was something just about having that place that was rich. And I know because a lot of those people are in this room, and a lot of those people are not, and but I know them still. I know that it was important I know that that thing, that, that um, accepting place, even, even when our recipes were failures, and there were a few failures, but not many, not many, um, it was still a wonderful place to be because we were together at the table for the sake of Jesus Christ. So maybe before we invite people to church, we invite them to our table to dinner because this really was one of the most important and um, yeah, distinctive aspects of Jesus's ministry. He had a reputation, you know, among the religious, probably among those Pharisees who had invited him to that particular dinner anyway, that uh, he was a glutton and a drunkard. Do you have that reputation? <laughs> Maybe we want that reputation because think about it. 
he ate and drank with notorious sinners, quotation marks. And when the Pharisees called him a glutton and a drunkard, they actually didn't make that up. There is a warning in Deuteronomy against that. But see, they, they could not see who he was because they saw only the rules that he was meant to keep. And he saw only the people that needed to be invited to the table. Could we become that? Is that the invitation? Could we become the people of Jesus who see who needs to be invited? And then could we feed one another? Gordon Smith wrote in his book, A Holy Meal, The Lord's Supper and the Life of the Church. Eating for Jesus was a key means by which he proclaimed the coming of God's reign and enacted its arrival. Diana Butler Bass asks, what if the table is the point? What if the Last Supper was really the first feast of the kingdom of heaven on earth? What if the table, listen to this one, you guys, what if the table is the hinge of history? I love that so much. So I've got some questions. Who does Jesus eat with? Who do you eat with? Who do you eat with? Jesus ate with the downcast, the neglected, the religious leaders, the wealthy. He did not find it necessary to exclude in order to include His spirit of inclusivity is the broadest imaginable, the broadest possible. Who do you struggle to include at your table? Are you willing to fellowship with people on the other side of the political divide? Oh, yikes. With people that are more liberal than you, more progressive? How about more conservative? Are you willing to have dinner with them? Will you dine with people that make you uncomfortable because of their pronouns? Or any other thing that might make you uncomfortable? Who are you willing to have at your dinner table? Luke is, Luke is actually providing a model. Well, Luke is writing the model, but it's Jesus who's providing the model for how we're called to be with one another in this real life that we live, this crazy, circumstantial, weird place we find ourselves in, Long Beach 2022, here we are, and the invitation from Jesus Christ is the same. Come to the table, you're invited. But then will you turn around, and will you invite all the others to the table, to your table as well? I'm going to end with one quote because I love it. There's this wonderful, wonderful old book by um, an Episcopal priest. His name is Robert Farrar Capon. The name of the book is The Supper of the Lamb, A Culinary Reflection. And this is the quote. The bread and the pastry, the cheese and the wine, and the sugar go into the supper of the lamb because we do. It is our love that brings the city home. 
It is, I grant you, an incautious and extravagant hope, but only outlandish hopes can make themselves at home. So like Jesus. So like Jesus. So, yeah. I'm going to ask you to just consider all of that. There's a lot here. It's not a lot of verses. There's a huge call. There's a huge call. I love the beat the bushes. <laughs> look, look for people that hide themselves behind things. Invite them as well. Amazing. Amazing. And I'm going to end there, and I'm going to move into the fact that it's Mother's Day today. And I am a child who had a mother, and she was never very close. <laughs> She's passed away, and I don't know who she was. Even though she was in my life for a lot of years, I'm also the mother of six children, and um, a couple of them don't talk to me anymore. And I don't know what I did. I know some of the things that I did. But it's complicated. So um, you guys have, you have packets of seeds. Mine I dropped. For anyone who wants them, uh, in the past we have given specific Mother's Day gifts. We've done the traditional carnations and handed them to the moms. I, I know there was even a season when we had all the mothers stand up. But mothering not only is complicated, but it isn't just about mothers. I know that there's many of us who mother and we're not female. There's many of us who mother and we've been mothering since we were very small and very little. And so uh, we've been writing, we've been reading this poem called The Wide Continuum, Continuum of Mothering and somehow it just didn't feel wide enough even. And here's the truth, nothing is going to be wide enough because it's complicated. So I wrote a little spoken word piece that I'm going to put out there for you guys today. Don't tell me if it was good or bad, okay? My ego cannot take it. Just let it be. So it's called this, Complicated. This Hallmark Day, meant to be warm and loving, I stand and look at all the cards arrayed, not one of them printed with the contradictory words that reveal my contradictory feelings. Love and longing mingled with sadness and emptiness, a chasm of desires, and please don't expect that this times. A wall erected to protect, wanting and waiting to be torn down, perhaps by both sides, wondering about children grown up now, staring at another card display, or wanting to forget that I am their mother, wrestling with emotions similar and different, maybe, perhaps, hopefully, finally, choosing some cordial hypocrisy or even just the right card, excited for the new mothers with round and bright-eyed babies and small children, all of them perched on the brink of this lifetime journey. Sticky fingers and wet kisses, hope springs eternal, vows made. I won't do it the way she did or didn't, or maybe I will.
do it exactly that way. Bittersweet, the children adopted in and out, that I might never have children, that I never did have children, that I was never allowed to be a child, that I am a man and I'm a mother. I'm a mother alone, mourning, children lost, longed for, those never born, run away, estranged, mothers in the distance, mothers gone too soon, children mothering their mothers, celebrating all those who mothered, the men who mothered, the women and the children who did the same, grateful for lullabies in hushed tones and lunchbox notes, songs sung off-key, piano lessons, homework help in batting cages, prayers prayed every night, now memorized, receiving the love that can come from the many mothers, from all of you. from all those that choose to mother, from witnessing the mothering and trusting, trusting in a God revealing himself as mother. Each one of us, his beloved children, his chicks kept safe under his mother hen wings. It's complicated. So now we're going we're gonna to have Richard come up and he's going to do a little prayer of examine with us. In gratitude, we turn to God, asking for the grace to recognize Christ present in all things. God, where did I see you in my home, in my daily chores? In my morning routines, where did I miss your presence? God, where did I see you on my commute? In the day's comings and goings, where did I pass by too quickly? God, where did I encounter you in my meals, shared or alone, quick or leisurely? Where was I ungrateful? God, where did I hear you in the media? Where did I see you on my many devices? How did I distinguish your voice from that of the enemy? God, how did I encounter you in my neighbors, my family, friends, and co-workers? When did I fail to love others as you love me? God, guide me in my day ahead. Amen. Thank you so much, Richard. I do want to talk about the seeds again because, you know, they produce new things. So we really want to invite you to take a packet of these seeds and 
um, plant them and see what new comes up and ask God, ask Jesus, ask the Holy Spirit, um, what do you want in me to be new? What's the new thing you want to do? Because God's always doing a new thing. And we get to partner with him. And so, um, yeah, uh, our, our, the pastoral team, we really believe that seeds is what we always want to give you guys. Because we serve a God who is always planting something and doing something new in us and through us. So may that be the hallmark that characterizes this community, as well as a very, very large table. And speaking of the table, I want to invite the prayer team to come forward and the worship team to come back up. And we're going to, we're going to participate in table fellowship. We get to come to this table because Jesus said we should. <laughs> And the reason that he told us to come to the table, the reason that he said take communion in community with one another is because he knew that we needed not only to be fed, but to be accepted and received and invited and welcomed and to come with nothing at all, with nothing at all, to receive everything that Jesus has for us. Amen. So please come when you're ready and receive.